Hi, Ray Keen here from the Canby Center. I uh, just want to share with you briefly about what's been going on. This year has been rather different. Last year was 238,000 pounds of food that was redistributed out to the community. This year has been over 763,000 pounds. So thank you to those of you who have helped provide food. It really makes a difference for the families that we're serving. Normal months for us look a little bit like January and February there, where we see about 200 food boxes go out uh, in a month. May peaked at about five times our normal. And since then, it's come back down to about what is four times over our normal. Uh, November looks to be increasing again as we have one more food pantry to go in the month. And uh, I expect that based upon employment needs and other challenges, families are coming to us in an increasing manner for food. We can't do what we do without volunteers, and thank you to those of you who have stepped up and helped in that way. Team. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he, when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the word of the Lord. And now it's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker this morning. A friend of mine who does great work here in our community, he's the director of the Canby Center, and his name is Ray Keen, and he can't be with us physically, so we're going to see on video. So please welcome Ray. Hi, Ray Keen here from the Canby Center. I uh, just want to share with you briefly about what's been going on. This year has been rather different. Last year was 238,000 pounds of food that was redistributed out to the community. This year has been over 763,000 pounds. So thank you to those of you who have helped provide food. It really makes a difference for the families that we're serving. Normal months for us look a little bit like January and February there, where we see about 200 food boxes go out uh, in a month. May peaked at about five times our normal. And since then, it's come back down to about what is four times over our normal. Uh, November looks to be increasing again as we have one more food pantry to go in the month. And uh, I expect that based upon employment needs and other challenges, families are coming to us in an increasing manner for food. 
We can't do what we do without volunteers, and thank you to those of you who have stepped up and helped in that way. All of our services so far this year, over 14,000 of them, have included things like the food boxes that go out or uh, simply a free lunch to anyone who walks into our door who could use one, or uh, the housing and utilities assistance that we were able to provide to over 143 families for a total of $136,000 worth of support for housing and utilities needs that keeps people from being evicted during this difficult year. We have a Canby Center Christmas coming up, and thank you uh, to those of you who have been gathering games for the gift baskets. We're trying to put together 300 gift baskets that will go out into the community to some, some of the lower income parts of town so that uh, really Christmas can be something that we celebrate as a community. Of course, we'll be doing that in ways that are physically distanced and outdoors and masked up and all of that stuff to keep people safe. But I believe there is still time to bring in uh, games to go into those baskets, and you can drop those off, I believe, at the office at Bethany. We'd love to have volunteers. Uh, hundreds of people make our work possible. And so if you'd like to join us in that, you can go to thecanbycenter.org and find our volunteer button at the top. And then there's just a calendar where you can pick the volunteer opportunity that you'd like to serve in. Thank you so much, Bethany Church, for all that you do in loving our community. Good morning. Let's go for a drive. Sorry I can't be with you in person this morning. There have been some circumstances in my life uh, related to COVID. I am not sick. But uh, I was around someone in the last week and a half who was, and so I'm quarantining for two weeks, which means I can't be with you in person, and I'm sorry for that, but I am grateful to have good health, and I am so delighted to be able to share with you this morning from God's Word. I think... You know, when you consider 2020 in America and what we've walked through with everything from the pandemic to social justice issues to real justice issues to wildfires, it just can feel like, you know, somebody needs to pinch me because uh, this doesn't, doesn't seem normal, doesn't seem real. And yet for the believer times like this should really orient us. They should point us to the kingdom of God. For the believer, times like this should remind us why we're here, what this is all about, what our lives are made for, and how we are to live out our purpose. So where are we going today? Well, we're going to be talking about working for the kingdom. That is our present calling as the church. We're also going to talk about waiting for the kingdom and what it looks like to remember our future hope. And then lastly, we'll talk about how we live between the already of the kingdom and the not yet. 
Our passage today is in Acts chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there with me. Acts chapter 1, it says, speaking of the disciples, the apostles in particular, when they met together, they asked the Lord, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were wondering about a return of reign and rule to the kingdom of Israel. Most likely their question was motivated by, motivated by the fact that the Romans were oppressing them and they wanted to see them thrown out. So their questions really are wrangling about in a way, when is this going to happen, Lord? When are we going to see a return to our national identity? They were clinging to something that was really truly about their country. Is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But Jesus' response doesn't truly directly answer their question. In a way, he redirects their question with his response. There is an answer here. It's just not the answer they were seeking. They wanted to know when Israel was going to be on top again, when Israel would take its rightful place as a proclamation agent, as a light to the world, as the nation that would carry the Messiah. And yet Jesus says to them, it's not about the time, but you will receive power to be my witnesses. And this witness, this gospel witness of the kingdom isn't going to just take place in Israel. It will happen in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the ends or to the ends of the earth. The kingdom the good news is for everyone. In Acts 1.3, it says that Jesus spent 40 days with the apostles, speaking with them about the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus used his last days on earth to focus his message on the kingdom. This was not new for him. He had spoken about the kingdom 30 times leading up to the cross. The kingdom is a core subject of Jesus' teaching and ministry. When Jesus was tempted, he was shown all the kingdoms of the world by Satan, and it says all the great things in those kingdoms. Jesus said frequently that you have heard it said, but I tell you that in the kingdom it will be this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, a pearl, a treasure, a net. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus taught us to seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things, he would say, the things of this life, 
food, clothing, shelter, all those things that we need, the necessities of life, would be added to you as well. So Jesus' priority for us is to seek first the kingdom. And beyond that, in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He started the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, that we just walked through recently with a reference to the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he warned people that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He also said that the greatest in the kingdom would have to become like a little child. And Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. The gospel according to Jesus was about the kingdom. Now, Jesus is the king of kings and he wants us to understand the place, the purposes, and the persistence of the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to understand how it all fits. The Apostle Paul was no different. In Acts chapter 28, the final words of the great book that we're in, we are told that the Apostle Paul, from morning till evening, explained and declared to them about the kingdom of God. And he tried to convince them about Jesus. And again, it says, boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 3 tells us that John the Baptist carried this very same message about the kingdom. So Jesus believed that the kingdom was important enough to teach about it extensively. The gospel, the good news, according to Jesus Christ, was about the kingdom. So why don't we hear much teaching on the kingdom, if Jesus and others focused on it so much, I believe the answer lies in the last few hundred years. This is from the Declaration of Independence, and it touches on what took place in that time. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object of evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient suffering of the colonies and such is now the necessity of which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. Our formation as a country was one that was a rejection of the tyranny of an overreaching king. So I wonder to what degree that influences our teaching on the fact that there will be and that there is an everlasting kingdom with a benevolent king. There's been much debate about the kingdom of God. Is it here now? Is it coming soon? When will it appear? 
But, you know, Jesus doesn't focus very much of his teaching on the question of when. He does, however, focus an immense amount of teaching on the nature of the kingdom. That is, what it is like. And I think his call to us is practical both for the here and now and for the kingdom that is still to come. Theologians waver between putting emphasis on the already of the kingdom or on the not yet of the kingdom. They tend to fall into one of two areas. Some emphasize the already nature of the kingdom, speaking of our responsibility and calling us to live out kingdom values and direct kingdom work, exercising our power now to achieve an ideal kingdom now. They can tend to put a lot of emphasis on human effort and wisdom. They focus on the work to be done now. But, sadly, there's less emphasis on the future hope of heaven. The future of the kingdom, even, that speaks of judgment to come. Other theologians emphasize the not yet of the kingdom. They take a wait-and-see approach. They see the kingdom as being activated in Jesus' first coming, and yet as a to-be-fulfilled hope that is in his second coming. They emphasize God's power, sovereignty, and cosmic plan that will be fulfilled in time. There's a lot less emphasis on the kingdom calling now to serve, to live, and to love in alignment with kingdom principles. These perspectives can raise the question, so what is the kingdom? Well, the kingdom is a realm of the king, that is, Jesus' realm, It is the presence of God, that is, his manifest presence in a place, in a time. The kingdom of God is also expressed through a people, the church, as we embody Jesus in the world and the degree to which we embody him well. And the kingdom is a power, as touched on in Revelation chapter 11. The kingdom is also a place, a physical place. We're often told in the Gospels about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and these terms are usually used interchangeably to speak of the same thing. And the kingdom is truly the everlasting, eternal order of all things. It is God's realm, his place, his purposes, that are established. Let's talk about working for the kingdom for just a moment. The church has this very specific calling, a very specific mission with regard to our time here and now on the earth. And there are a lot of ways to look at this, but three of them come to mind. The first is evangelism. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, and he gave us the charge to go and make disciples. This is our purpose and calling in the world to conduct evangelism for the name of Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. Jesus gave us this charge to be my witnesses. This is the current work of believers. The gospel is good news, but I fear that our version of it in America has been distilled down to inviting people to pray the sinner's prayer or invite Jesus into their hearts. 
But Jesus wasn't only the Lamb of God whose blood covers our sins. Jesus is also the powerful, good King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is to be our Lord and our Savior. We don't have one without the other. He is both my Savior and Lord. His reign includes my life, my actions, my thoughts. When we share the gospel, we must be sure to include the cosmic realities, the far-reaching scope of what the good news is. And that is that there is someone who is ultimately concerned about the good of all things. And he is trustworthy. And what he does is always good. It's not simply a personal reality. There's a cosmic reality to the good news as well. Secondly, the church has a function for edification. You know, we just talked about evangelism. Evangelism isn't just the work of the pastor. That's for all of us. But there is a work for the pastor, and that is, in part, edification. And for others, some have this gift as well, this calling. It says that Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is the end game. Unity, wholeness in the body of Christ. And so we seek as the body to edify one another, to build one another up, to strengthen one another. And that is the work of the church. Work contrary to that, work that is uh, disunifying, that is disintegrating within the church, is not the work of God and it's not the work he has for us. So edification, building each other up, that's a core part of the work of the church in this time as we wait and as we work for the kingdom. The third work of the church in this time is benevolence. Jesus said, whatever you did unto one of the least of these brothers of mine, you've done it unto me. When you fed them, when you clothed them, when they were sick and you visited, or they were in prison and you came to see them, Jesus said, whenever you did those things, you've done it as unto me. He takes our benevolence, our care for the poor and for the hurting. He takes it personally. And it's why my work at the Canby Center is such a joy. Oftentimes, through the eyes of people who are hurting, I get the chance to see Jesus. I see him show up in the provision of needs on a daily basis. And it is a life-giving work, but it is not something simply that the Canby Center is called to. It is something that we as the church are all called to, to care for our neighbors who are hurting, to care for those who are in need. You know, the church was really built to run toward problems, to run toward challenges and difficulty. 
we should be the ones who are taking up the mantle to address the greatest problems of our time. Once on being asked, it says in Luke 17, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is in your midst. This was translated in the NIV as the kingdom of God is within you or among you. The idea here is that the kingdom is now active and present. The active work that we have to do now is evangelism, edification, and benevolence. That is our calling. But there's also a component to the kingdom that is not yet fulfilled. Any of us can see that when we look around this dark world. 2020 has shown us examples of that day after day after day. And so there is a component to the kingdom that is important for us to grasp onto. 2 Peter 3.10 touches on the way in which the day of the Lord is yet to come, that it is an inauguration of the kingdom of God. Your inheritance is the kingdom of God for the righteous. Matthew chapter 25 verse 34 talks about this. And there's a waiting for the kingdom with regard to justice in sorting out the wicked from the righteous that takes place also in those passages. The kingdom is also truly, ultimately, about a future hope for the people of God. Colossians 1.5 and Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 5 touch on the future hope that we have in heaven. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there is a sense in which the kingdom is not yet. You'll remember in the parable of the ten minas that Jesus really talks about the way in which there is a judgment to come, and in that judgment there will be a sorting out and a rewarding of those who have done righteousness. Jesus reminds us that the kingdom work is about growth. Kingdom workers are going to be rewarded. There's a waiting time in between when the king gives assignments to be done and when he returns to reward the diligent and judge the unfaithful. Randy Alcorn writes, No matter what direction our earthly country, America, may be going, it is our never-ending heavenly country that we should faithfully represent. The people of the world don't need our reassurance that America is unshakable, that democracy will prevail, that any one human leader can save us, that our economy will recover, that death and suffering won't touch them. What they do need while living in the wreckage of this sin-stained earth is to realize that the world's main problem is that it's inhabited by people like us, sinners in need of redemption. These thirsty people need us to reach out our hands and extend to them as cold water Christ's offer of citizenship in another world, a coming eternal home. This earth will be shaken. 
there will be a consummation of the kingdom that takes place that is way beyond our understanding or ability to grasp it. It is so, so vital that we understand how to extend to people the kingdom that will be unshakable. Citizenship in God's kingdom, in God's heaven. Our lives have to be built around an allegiance to that kingdom. As a guy who spends a lot of energy now on helping people, why does the king and the kingdom that is coming matter to me? I think in some ways, you consider what it looks like for us to live here now in this time. It's really important for us to remember that we are foreigners and exiles here. Second Peter chapter 2, verses one, uh, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and aliens or exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. I'm concerned that the church in America, the body of Christ here, is not representing kingdom values very well. In fact, we don't live like foreigners in this land. Everything about our lifestyle looks almost exactly like that of our neighbors. How are we to live in this time? How should we care and love people in this time in a way that makes us unique and makes us stand out? I think it's important that we remember where our true allegiance lies. You know, there were zealots in Jesus' day these were people who wanted to incite the province of Judea to rebel against Rome and to expel it from the land by force. Today we have zealots as well, people who in an overzealous and misguided way uh, as Christians who believe they're doing kingdom work by using worldly or fleshly means. This kind of work done in the flesh will and must be rejected as worldly. Our allegiance is first and foremost to the king and to the kingdom of God, and then to our nation, America. Kingdom values and practices come first. Christ followers walk in step with the fruit of the spirit. They walk in step with the spirit of God. And those who don't follow this world's pattern of sin we owe our allegiance to heaven. We are also ambassadors for Christ. It's important that we remember who we represent, that our country is not this one. At the heart of it, our country is a heavenly one that we look forward to. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. I think the warning here is that there will be people 
in the last times who will appear to want to align with good. They have a sort of a power or a form of godliness, but they are denying the true power behind it. They deny the king who bought them, who saved them. And it says, have nothing to do with such people. It's a stark warning, but it's an important one. Work done in the flesh in these kinds of ways will always produce sin in the world and won't uh, be a witness for Christ. Conversely, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control will always point people to God because that is the character of God. It is the nature of God. It is the Spirit of God. For the non-believer, the coming kingdom induces fear, fear of judgment. But for the believer, the coming kingdom is hope-inducing. A treasure of an inheritance awaits the child of God. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he sold all he had and bought that field. It's like the finest pearl that when the jeweler found it, he sold everything he had and bought that precious pearl. When we operate in the spirit, we see the kingdom of God manifested in our world in a way that is glorious and beautiful. And it is worth possessing now And there is a hope worth grasping for the future that we should hold out to our neighbors in such a way as declare to them that this is true life. What awaits us is a kingdom without tears or grief or pain or death. We can't even imagine what that looks like because our world is so filled with death. And the hope we have held out to us is restoration of the relationship between mankind and the God who created us. I wonder for a moment if there's anything that you might hold more precious, any ideals you hold more closely than these kingdom ways. So why is this important? Why does a kingdom matter at all? Why focus attention on the king of kings? Well, I think Israel in our passage today uh, through the apostles was so prone to want to look for the coming king, to have a sense of when this, this power, this identity would be restored to the nation of Israel. I think even in America today, we have some Christians who, through a desire for a stronger national identity, are longing for things to be made right. And I understand that passion, that desire for things to be made right. I just, I see that it will only be made right in the coming kingdom. And that kingdom can come here and now as we work for the good news to be spread across the earth, as we work to proclaim freedom for the captives as we work to provide food for the poor, as we work to edify and build one another up. And I believe that our hope, our joy, 
will grow as we turn our eyes to the kingdom that's coming, as we find life in the life that's ahead. As the Jews were pulled toward a nationalistic identity, Jesus' response to them is one that is about Jerusalem, yes, but also Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus says, set your sights on something much, much bigger, much broader, much more powerful, and far more good. Because it is a kingdom that is coming, and it is a kingdom that will last forever. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be the one who is proclaimed, the one who is upheld as the keeper of the kingdom. Jesus, we look to you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Be Lord of our lives. Be King of the kingdom. Here and now, in our midst, as we work and as we wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen.